What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Back yet again for another episode. 186 of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. It is Friday, September 30th, 2022. Let's try that again. Sorry about that. I had that channel on mute. Trying to get some things set up here. Got to throw the Yankees on my iPad in the background here while I do this episode because Aaron Judge, of course, sitting on 61 home runs. We're not going to lead with that story. Can't lead with that story. Um, We've got to lead with last night's NFL football game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins because it's all about that injury with Tua and what we saw on Amazon Prime last night in 4K. So we're going to jump in 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 just another second, but I have a huge show on tap for you. First Friday in a while that I don't have anything going. Um, they're in the process of, in my MLB, the show league of simming the regular season. I finished in second place after seating was done and I'm actually taking on one of my good friends who's the seven seed. So I am a little excited for that. So I've got that coming up. Um, but I haven't played in about a month. I played a game recently and, um, I won in extra innings, Yankees, Mets, Played some guy, brought in Edwin Diaz, and I hit a two-run homer. I want to say with Harrison Bader down the left field line to win that. But besides the point, I got that going on. Of course, football, Zach Wilson is back. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk some NBA stuff. There was a crazy trade that took place yesterday. If You, you might have missed that, an eight-player trade. We've got some Brett Favre scandalous-type stuff going on. Some more live golf um, stuff in the news more lawsuits and such just a whole lot on tap for you recap of last week's episode it's gonna be fun um so without further ado let's jump in we'll talk to a so there was a game last night obviously the Bengals minus four at home against an undefeated miami dolphins team sitting at three and oh and coming off a huge win against the bills the favorite favorite in the AFC and really in the entire NFL is the Bills. So huge win there. We'll talk about that later. But first, the Bengals do win the game by 12. They covered the four. But when I found out that this spread was four in favor of the Bengals, immediately lights are going off. The light bulb's going off. Sound the alarms. Something smells fishy. Something smells very fishy. Why are a three and O Dolphins? Why is a three and O Dolphins team? Granted, it's on the road. Okay, whatever. Why are they not favored after coming off that huge win? Do they think they're gonna give us a huge letdown after that big time win? Something didn't smell right. And yeah, the Bengals had their little get right game, beating my Jets pretty handily. But otherwise, they haven't been a very good football team at all. So this was a very strange one. I'm sorry if you fell for the trap and took Miami. My brother was one of those people. He cashed out for only a 50% loss, which he was happy about because Miami would have probably won this game. They probably would have covered no knock on Teddy Bridgewater after the Tua injury. But when you have an injury like, like as devastating as that looked last night, that Tua injury, it's very hard to come back from that. It's very hard to be that next man up as the quarterback and lead your team to victory. And he put up a valiant effort um, just around three minutes left. There was that mix-up, but uh, we'll get into that in a second. I want to get back to this Tua injury. It's around the second quarter. He sacked, and I don't remember the guy that that uh, that tackled him and sacked him, but where's wh- why was there no laundry on the field? This immediately smelled like, not smelled like, it was a penalty. You can't, su- he, that was a stomach to back suplex. 
He literally r- whipped him around and threw him down like a rag doll. Now, Tua is not the, the the biggest, strongest, you know, quarterback. That's was his one knock. He's about maybe six feet, six one. So he got thrown down like a rag doll, and he hit his neck and head area, and immediately his hands and his body went went stiff as a board. His hands and fingers went like rigor mortis and it, it reminded me of that guy from scary movie um to hansen that like the butler guy or whatever he's like oh this is my good hand and he's like putting his his messed up hand um in in the pie and the cake and everything and he's like shaking people's hands like this is my good hand um that's what it reminded me of people were freaking out and prime just kept showing it we got to see that in all its 4k glory on full repeat about eight times that injury and those hands. And luckily I didn't have nightmares over it, but um, it was scary. And it was a moment about 10 minutes. They stretchered him off the field and I'm not going to play audio from it because really you don't get anything out of it besides just hearing the announcers talk about pretty much you can hear it in their voices how scary it was. And even at halftime, Ryan Fitzpatrick was very emotional because he played with this Miami team um, within the last couple of years, and he he was very uh, broken up about it. So uh, the severity of it was very serious. We didn't see him move his arms or legs, so that had me worried. Did he, you know, is he paralyzed? Um, did he break his neck? Like, what is going on? Um, and then slowly but surely reports started to trickle in of course the immediate reaction was bs on last week's lower back injury right i talked about that how they said he had lower back injury but we saw him stumbling around the field right and how on a short week he never should have been allowed to play in this game and they let him play and they said it would never Ever was there anything said about a head injury in Sunday's game against the Bills? He came back in the second half, and then he starts in this game, and this is what happened. And yeah, it's very, very possible he was fine, and then goes into this Thursday night game, and a freak thing like this happens, and it looks really bad, and it makes it seem like Sunday had something to do with this, and that he, his doctors, the independent, you know, neurologists working for the NFL, whoever cleared him to play in this game, cleared him on Sunday. Um, every A lot of people are calling for them to be fired. I want to play a clip here from, from Stephen A. Smith because what, what's even more strange is that after the game is over, they tell us he's being discharged from the hospital, everything's good, and he's flying back to Miami with the team. That just sounds like insane when you think about it. To, to go from what he went through and what it looked like on television, I want to honestly say something. I don't think this, w- this was this was not a, oh, you know, he's got a concussion. Uh, he'll miss this, the rest of this game type of thing. No, this was as scary as it gets. The only thing I can remember, and I saw, this was on TV, and I felt the emotion of it, and I felt how scary that was and looked. I could only imagine what that must have been like to see it in person live in that stadium. And the only thing I can equate this to was way back when, when Rutgers was playing Army, I believe it was, and it was at the Meadowlands or MetLife Stadium. I I don't remember. I was a sophomore in college at the time at Rutgers. And me and my brother and his friend, who's a state trooper, went to this game at MetLife Stadium or Meadowlands, and we saw Eric LeGrand on that kickoff get paralyzed from the neck down. And that was the scariest thing I've ever seen on a football field, and I saw it live and in person. And they had to finish that game and play it out, and Rutgers won the game in overtime with Chase Dodd as their quarterback, um, those were fun times back in the day. That was, you know, Shiano's first stint with Rutgers. Just, it was that bad. So for him to get discharged and then just fly back the same night so quickly, like, God forbid something happened on that plane. God forbid, like, anything could have happened. Say he fall, he goes to sleep and does it. Like, you don't know what to think. And you want to believe these doctors and put it in their hands. But it's just, 
None of it. The optics, none of it looks good. So here was Stephen A. sounding off um, basically with the same sentiment as all of America. <laughs> somebody need to be fired. Now, I don't know who, but somebody got to go. At the very least, a suspension. Now, I don't know if it was the doctors and the trainers that examined him at halftime of the Buffalo game, put him back in. I don't know if it's additional medical personnel that were involved that gave the okay for him to be on the field last night. But listen to what the, the what folks have been saying since last night transpired with Tua. They say you had a concussion, and obviously it's easier to get another one. Within a span of four to five days, I don't care what anybody says. I don't want to hear anything about a back. I didn't see him hold his back. I didn't see him put his arms in his back. Not one time Sunday. I saw him get up. I saw that gross mobile instability. He sat, he got up, and he damn near collapsed right back down. I'm looking at Mike McDaniels, the coach. I'm wondering, what the hell are you thinking? Now, some people would say, hey, you're the coach. If the medical staff gives you the okay to play a player, then you go ahead and you play the player. But you're a human being. You got two eyes. You know what you saw out there. What about that? I'm looking at the NFLPA. Get your investigation going. Keep pushing. The NFL, do the same thing. Find out what the hell went on. And guess who else I'm holding accountable to some degree? His teammates. So, yeah, there you have it. Stephen A. Smith, he's spot on here. I will add one more thing. Yeah, it's a rookie head coach, and he's just doing, you know, what he what what they say and when they clear him and whatnot. But don't for a second pretend that as a head coach, you're not talking to the medical personnel and saying, come on, you know, uh, it's not that bad. Like, can he get back in the game, Doc? Like, you're putting pressure on these doctors saying, like, I really need him to play. It, it, like, can he play at maybe 50% or maybe I'll, I'll play him and and I won't do this, this or that or X, Y, Z um, because I coach and we do it all the time. If somebody gets hurt, you know, you're going to ask them, you ask the trainer what, you know, how they feel, can they get back in there and the trainer will make that assessment and you do, you put some pressure on the trainer. It's like, come on, doc, like I need this player back for this game or if a player's out hurt and you have a game coming up, it's like, Come on, Doc, like I need to have this is one of my key players or this is my best player. I need I need him or her to play, you know, um, on this day or whatever. Like we, we got to make this work. So you do put some added pressure on the doctor, whether it's the head coach, some assistants, whoever. There's that pressure from everybody, the fan base, you name it that they want their player back in. And and so, yeah, his teammates have seen him stumbling around like that, not grabbing his back on Sunday, and to be okay with him going back in the game, it, it, it's a tough one. I mean, as a teammate, you know, you want to win the game, your competitors, your athletes. So what I think happened is most people in the Dolphins organization, that was a playoff-type atmosphere for them against Buffalo. Everybody just wanted him back in the game to have the best chance to win. And what's so bizarre is that he came back and he played good and he helped them win the game. How do you do that if you're concussed? Now, many former athletes, Emmanuel Acho, like several players, um, Ryan Clark, I believe was one of them, saying how easy it is to pass that concussion protocol. You just can answer a few questions, bing, bang, boom, and you can get back out there. Um, but to play at that high of a level when he went back out there, it's just so it's so bizarre, but it's bad, bad, bad optics just because of now what happened Thursday. He very well could have had a back injury or some other type of injury and been fine. And then this was just a freak thing, but we'll never know. And it looks really, really bad. And Stephen A is right. Everybody in America pretty much wants answers. They want somebody's head on a stick. And I don't know if we'll ever get that or not. I don't know the status of Tua. He's probably going to miss at minimum one game, I mean, I'd be very shocked if he comes back and plays. The optics of this now, it's almost like he can't come back this quickly. You cannot bring him back for next week's game with 10 days rest, whatever it is. Just can't do it. The, the, the optics of that would be horrendous. It would be just a firestorm more so than what it is now. So, yeah. The, but like I said, he's doing all right. The Bengals ended up covering. They won by 12 because of a late touchdown. They went third and goal, play action. It was a little bit of a risky play, but wide open to the tight end. Um, here's what I want to say about the Bengals before we move on. 
the Bengals are not a good team. I watched them against the Jets. The Jets, you know, self-imploded with turnovers, and they could have easily had a chance to win that game. The Bengals can't run the football. Joe Mixon is averaging 2.7 yards per carry. That is third worst in the NFL. And last night, he went 24 for 61, which was good for 2.5 yards per carry. It's not good enough. We all know the woes with that offensive line. Joe Burrow getting sacked a ton, although he's been getting the ball out a little bit quicker the last couple games. So if not for a couple plays, they had the big touchdown to T. Higgins, the big throw down the field to uh, Jamar Chase that set up that late touchdown. Uh, it, it's just all of that. The Bengals dominated this game, and they still almost lost. It, if not with a with three minutes and seventeen seconds on the clock, the Miami Dolphins and Teddy Bridgewater were driving. They were at the Bengal twenty five yard line or so, maybe twenty six. And Teddy Bridgewater, it's a miscommunication because lack of reps. He's the backup. He thinks the tight end is going outside. He throws it. Uh, excuse me. He thinks. Yeah, he's going outside, so he that's where he throws it. Tight end goes inside. Von Bell makes his second interception of the night. First one was against Tua on a diving uh, pick, and then he returned it out just across the 50. Take a listen. Pressure from the outside. Picked off at the nine-yard line. Von Bell, his second of the game. And the run back is into Miami territory all the way to the 45-yard line. Yeah, so that pretty much sealed the game. They had the long pass then to um, to Chase, like I said, set up the touchdown because Mixon had five straight carries from the one-yard line on two different possessions, and he could not get in the end zone. And that's what I'm saying. That's the problem right now. Joe Mixon isn't a bad running back. There's no room for him to run right now. And the Bengals, the, yeah, they're 2-2, two and two, but they've got a lot of fixing up to do. They've got to figure it out, those woes on the offensive line. So, yeah, that was your Thursday night game, and it was a sketchy spread from the start, so I did not touch it. Yay for me. All right, next up, we are going to get into a little uh, recap from last week's games. Ravens beating the Patriots. That was the one pick I got right. If you listen to Through the Ringer, I apologize because combined – we went one for nine. I was the only one to get a pick right. Priyank and Nick, 0 for 3. I was 1 for 3. I'm in first place, by the way, with my picks. So the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, he bet on himself. He pulled an Aaron Judge, and right now he's the best player in all of football. 218 passing yards, 107 rushing yards, and five more total touchdowns. He's currently first in passing touchdowns, first in passer rating, fourth in rushing yards in the entire NFL, running backs included. And he is the first player in the Super Bowl era with two straight games of three passing touchdowns and 100 rushing yards. And I'm um, looking over Aaron Judge is set to step into the box for his first at bat here in the bottom of the first in a 0-0 game. Domingo Herman worked out of uh, second and third trouble, 3-2 count, got the strikeout. So here comes Judge in Yankee Stadium. It is electric right now. I don't need the sound to know that. Um, and he's stepping into the box. And I'm just looking now, actually. This is a prime video vehicle, but they actually put it up on Yes because of how historic this is. So if you don't have Yes and you have Prime Video, you can watch there. If you have Yes and not Prime Video, you can watch on Yes. So finally, everybody's complaints have been answered. It's glad, I'm glad he didn't hit 62 in Toronto and just hit 61, but here we go. It's a 1-0 count, and I will uh, update you throughout the at-bat. So yeah, Lamar Jackson is just incredible. And yeah, again, if not for that collapse against Miami in Week 2, the Ravens would be 3-0. They are a very, very good team right now. Uh, Judge fouls off a very meaty fastball. Only 91 right down the middle. It was a little up. He could have driven that to right center for a home run easily, but just a little off with the timing there. It's to be expected in his first A-B. So, Lamar Jackson, greatest player on the planet right now. No doubt. Nice little slider there. Judge check swing can't hold up for strike two, one, two count. We've got uh, 
Rex Ryan umping over there at first base. I forget that guy's name, but he looks like Rex Ryan every time I see him. Here comes the one-two before I get back to this. All right, it's a slider low and away. So here's the thing. Um, while you had the Ravens and Lamar Jackson beating the Patriots and they covered the spread, what was the spread in this? I think like four or five, something like that. It was a little close, and then they they broke it open towards the end. One of the final plays of the game, it might have been the final play of the game, where uh, Mac Jones might have been intercepted. He suffered a bad injury to his ankle. They're calling it a high ankle sprain. I believe x-rays were negative, and they officially ruled him out for this week's game. So no Mac Jones for the Patriots. Um, I forget who they're playing, but they will not have Mac Jones. Here's the 3-2 pitch. Ah, Judge struck out. That was a sinker. Nice pitch there on a 3-2 count. So meanwhile, my three-point pick, while I had the Ravens as my two-point pick, my three-point pick was the Chiefs minus five over the lowly Indianapolis Colts the winless Indianapolis Colts. I thought this would be an easy one. And the Chiefs were cruising along, looking good, but it was still a very tight, close game. What did the Chiefs do? They missed an extra point. They missed a field goal. They tried to fake another field goal, which got blown up, and they don't cover the freaking spread. I was so angry when they didn't cover this that I I was beside myself. That's my three-point pick. Not only do they not cover, they lose the game outright to Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor, who shouldn't have won this game. The Chiefs had a late chance to get down and, and kick a field goal to win the game um, or, or send it to overtime, and they couldn't do it. No, it would have won the game, I believe. What was the final score in that game? It was so long ago at this point. Sunday feels like an eternity ago. Um, yeah, they lost 20 to 17. So yeah, they would have got a field goal to tie it and send it to overtime. They were right on their way. And then a Mahomes pass got tipped and um, picked off and the Colts won the game. But I was praying for that overtime because then I could have got a touchdown by the Chiefs to walk it off and I would have covered the five. So there goes my three-point play. Just, just, it was, that's how you know it was one of those days. And then, okay, the Dolphins talked about that game a lot earlier. They they improved to 3-0 over the Bills. This The only thing you need to know, there's two things you need to know about this game. The Bills just did not play uh, up to their standard, if you ask them. They only put up 19 points. I was hammering, telling people to hammer the over in this game. But then before tip-off, it swelled to 55, and that's when I said there's no way I'm taking that. So I took the Lions over um, in their game against the Vikings, and that just hit by half a point, thankfully. Vikings, with their walk, pretty much walk-off touchdown there um, at the end to give them the lead, won it for me there. But um, yeah, Tua, it was the Tua injury wobbling around, coming back in the second half. There was um, Ken Dorsey absolutely irate when they couldn't get off a final play up in the booth, slamming papers, slamming his headset, everything because the, the clocks hit zero before they could snap the ball again because Isaiah McKenzie made a horrible move trying to make people miss and he stayed in bounds instead of just catching that ball and jetting straight to the sideline. It would have given Josh Allen one final chance to heave it up for a Hail Mary. So they lose the game because of that. And Miami had the newest, latest trend in football the butt fumble, but it wasn't just any butt fumble. It was the butt, it was the butt punt. Thanks to Thomas Morstead. He had never had a punt blocked in his career. And this one wasn't blocked. He kicked it into his own player, uh, Sherfield's uh, butt, right in between the cheeks, because instead of he was kicking out of the end zone, had not a lot of room as it was. And then um, the guy, instead of going forward when the ball was snapped, he went backwards, giving him less room to punt the ball. And, well, just take a listen. Oh, this, is, this is risky. And it was oh, my goodness. Blocked indeed. And we just told you he's only had one blocked in 14 years, and that was number two. And look at where it comes in the game. Let's see if we can get a 
Owen hit the, the personal protector, Sherfield. So watching this back, he had no, as soon as he goes to kick this, it's, it's done. There's nothing you can do. Hey, if you had a rugby style punter, this would have been perfect. He would have just ran to the right side and just booted it right off. Adam Corsack from Rutgers, All-American type punter, would have been perfect time for this um, because they had blockers down the right side and he had more room. So a lot of times when I see this, and you know you're about to get blocked on a punt and they still just kick it right into the people. It's like, you got to catch that ball. Just start running to the right and then just kick it. So, yeah, it was a butt punt. He wasn't blocked. He kicked it into his own player. That was during a tw when it was a 21-17 game. So this made it a two-point game. They punted back to the Bills, and this is when you thought maybe the Bills would win the game. But unfortunately for them, they were not able to uh, go down there and win it. And if you're talking about two teams in the same week that had a chance to tie or win the game on a final drive, the Bills and the Chiefs, and they both lost, I would have told you you're nuts. But that's exactly what happened. They all lost. And not only that, they both lost. Uh, Tyreek Hill was held to just 33 yards on two receptions in this game, and they still beat the Bills. That's a little scary. But without you know, knowing the status of Tua moving forward, they're not going to be that scary of a team. All right, um, to the surprise of everyone, the Jacksonville Jaguars, let's just keep the the mayhem going in week in week three here. The Jacksonville Jaguars surprised the Chargers in an absolute beatdown. This was one of Mauer's picks. The Chargers started the week minus seven and a half or so. We didn't know the status of Herbert with his broken rib cartilage and whatnot, but he was fully active to go in this game and the spread dropped to like three. My goodness, thankfully I stayed away from that one because I would have picked the Chargers hands down. And after losing to the Commanders in week one, figured up, oh, same old Jags, another year, you know, another, another top two pick. But no, they have surprised us in these last two weeks. Um, they beat the Colts in a big-time AFC South matchup, and now they thrashed the Chargers absolutely. What was it, 38 to, to 10 final something? Or, or No, it, it, was, it was an absolute beatdown. I mean, that might have been the most shocking uh, uh, score of the entire day, 38 to 10. Yeah, like I wouldn't forget that score because it was just ridiculous. So, hey, maybe Doug Peterson's found found himself something. James Robinson coming off an Achilles tear has looked phenomenal. He's a top four rusher, rusher right now in the NFL. So, hey, maybe, maybe the Jaguars are back. Trevor Lawrence looking pretty good. Maybe they've found themselves something there. The Eagles, everybody wants to sit here and say the Eagles are the best team in the NFL, and it's hard to argue it. They are 3-0. and they beat the Washington Commanders 24 to 8 handily. Um, the addition of AJ Brown has really, really elevated this team. Pair him with Devontae Smith, who went absolutely bonkers in this game, had like 150 yards in the first half, finished with eight for 169. Carson Wentz, on the other hand, sacked nine times against his former team. That is tied for the most in his career. The last time it happened, was when he was a member of the Eagles and it happened against his current team, Washington. So weird stat there. Eagles are now favorites in the NFC and favorites in every remaining game this season. Wow. The NFL um, announced Sunday that Rihanna will headline the Super Bowl halftime show after previously saying she would not do it a few years ago. She's now committed to it. And they also announced that the Pro Bowl, as we know it, there is no way that ball's going out. That guy looked like he got jammed and he hit it to the warning track and left. Wow. Um, yeah, the Pro Bowl is dead. We will have a flag football game and some skills competitions, which I'm actually excited about that because nobody watches the Pro Bowl, especially myself. It's just terrible. Terrible. I loved all the, you know, when they started incorporating the like dodgeball stuff and in the middle of the week and whatnot. But uh, yeah, the Pro Bowl, nope, no thanks. And most guys don't even play in it. 
All right, to Monday night we go. Cowboys, Giants. Not so fast, New York. Not so fast, G-Men. Everybody, a lot of people fell for this trap too, picking the Giants to beat the Cowboys. And after what I saw from Cooper Rush against the Bengals, I was like, Cowboys, give me the Cowboys with the points all day. I didn't touch the game though. Um, I just bet on either running back to score, which finally I hit a bet. That one was good Um, because both running backs actually scored in this game. But um, Cowboys end up winning this 23 to 16. Cooper Rush is now 3-0 as an NFL starter, and we could possibly see uh, Dak back on the field a whole lot sooner than originally anticipated, which is shocking. We found that out before the game. Um, sadly, though, for the Giants, it's their first loss. Daniel Jones doesn't seem to be the guy, although I, I don't know if I can blame him. We saw some more drops. Sterling Shepard dropped a ball. Uh, Galladay dropped a ball. He's just been an absolute, um, you know, it, it's been so bizarre to see what he has turned into, just a shell of himself from when he was in Detroit. Uh, can't even get on the field. And when he does, he he's dropping passes. It's almost like a Denzel Mims situation. And of course, to add insult to injury in this one, not only do you lose to your rivals, Dallas, Sterling Shepard on the final offensive possession for the Giants. He's just running straight, non-contact ACL tear. This after last year's Achilles tear. And one of the receivers fell down on the play and it was picked off. Game over. Giants lose. Now both these teams are two and one. All right, I'm going to talk about a college football game, and you're not going to believe me, but I promise you it did happen. Stephen F. Austin of the FCS beat NAIA Warner Southern 98 to nothing. Oh my God. Believe it or not, that is not the record for points scored in a collegiate football game. That record belongs to Portland State, also an FCS team. They put up 105 on Delaware State back in 1980. Oh, my God. Just ridiculous. And by the way, Warner, if you don't know um, where that is, Warner Southern, located in Lake Wales, Florida. Unbelievable. I get it. They're an NAIA three levels down from Stephen F. Austin, but you must, you have to be really, really bad to lose 98 to nothing. And I know they are bad. They haven't won a game this year, but oh my God. And to, and insult to injury, Stephen F. Austin, after they got up 98 nothing on the ensuing, you know, two point, excuse me, extra point, they're like, no, we're just going to go for two. We don't even want to make it 99 to nothing. So they went for two and they took a knee. They gave up. They didn't want to score again. Crazy. Okay, uh, Lonzo Ball. So this is really this is really strange. The Bulls guard is still just 24 years old, but he had to undergo a second knee surgery Wednesday. The second since January and the third of his young career. So in an interview on Tuesday, Ball actually told reporters he cannot play basketball right now and cannot run or jump. I heard he can't even make it up the stairs in his house. Like, what is going on here? It's just a very bizarre thing. He was playing really well before he got hurt, and that seems to be the knock on him. He gets hurt a lot. Um, and we'll see. Um, I don't have too much else to report on this, but we'll see how the surgery went in the coming weeks. Obviously, something did not heal properly or was not done right the first time. So something to keep an eye on as um, we get into October and the NBA season is right around the corner, actually. Okay, another bizarre one. Marlins pitcher Richard Blyer was called for three balks in one at-bat against the Mets. This was uh, Tuesday night. So Blyer is on the hill lefty for the Marlins. And there's a runner on first base and Pete Alonzo's up at the plate. They're winning like six to three against the Mets. And this is what happened. This is the condensed one minute and like seven second version. Very bizarre. Just take a listen. He cannot tie the game. 
Two on the runner at first with the Mets down by three. So if you pitcher a pitcher, how do you approach him? And a balk has been called against Blyer. Didn't come to a full stop. And McNeil goes to second base. Vientos against the righty or Volga back against the lefty. And one pours in for a strike and it's two to one. The ball call. Wow. So take that pitch away. Take his strike away, and it's the second balk of the inning. A flyer who had never committed a balk in his major league career before tonight, and now he's committed two in the course of one at bat in his career against Blyer. Yeah, that's a strike. He thought it was low. And he called another balk. So he balks in a run, and now it's six to four. Three balks in the inning committed by Richard Blyer. Johnny's going to get himself thrown out. Home plate umpire Ryan Blakey thrown out. You're not allowed to argue a balk, but Donnie has seen enough after three balks in a row. Yeah, this one on Blyer make a difference. I have never in my life seen a player or a pitcher called for three balks in one at bat, let alone one game or one inning or whatever. It's just insane, and nothing he did was really worthy of a balk. I mean, to the letter of the, of the rule, probably, but there's guys that do a whole lot worse now. With the pitch com, there's pitchers that, that, that are on the hill, on the mound, on the rubber, foot connected to the rubber, they're not off of it, and they're putting their hand after they come set sometime, or not even when they come set, they're putting their hand up to their ear. Uh, that's a balk and and nobody calls it. And I don't know, that might be a, a new rule that you can do that and it's not a balk, but there's guys that never come to a stop and do, you know, certain weird deliveries and they have their quirks and quirms about them. But what this guy was doing, nothing really there. And of, of course, Mattingly and Blyer both got tossed eventually, Blyer after the inning and Mattingly immediately. Um, but what's even sh more shocking is that Blyer had never been called for a balk in 296 innings of big league ball. I could see if this is a guy that's constantly being called for a balk, but this is just a guy that was totally nitpicking over at first base. John John Tumpain, the first base umpire that 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 called those balks in. Uh, yeah, you got some explaining to do, buddy. All right, back to basketball. There's some turmoil in Phoenix. DeAndre Ayton returned for Suns Media Day on Tuesday, as did most teams returning for Media Day. And the, if you remember back to the playoffs, that was the last time we saw Ayton was when he was arguing with Coach Monty Williams in a Game 7 blowout loss to the Mavericks. Then he signed an offer sheet in the offseason with the Indiana Pacers, if you remember, which proves to me that there's no love lost there between the Suns and Aiton, and, or Aiton and the Suns, I should say. But the Suns matched it because they know the, the caliber of player he is, former number one overall pick out of Arizona, all that, right? Well, on Tuesday, so he's back with Phoenix because they matched it, restricted free agent, not unrestricted. And he tells reporters that he and Mo head coach Monty Williams haven't talked since the incident. A little awkward, but... How have you not talked to your coach since, what, May, June, whenever the playoffs were, July? Very, very strange. This, in the midst of the whole Robert Sarver invest, uh, fiasco, I shouldn't say investigation, he is now trying to sell the team because 17 years worth of misogyny and sexual harassment and all this stuff throughout the organizations and the teams that he owned with Phoenix. So just a mess there with the Phoenix uh, Suns organization to say the least. And then meanwhile, because Tuesday was media day throughout the NBA for the most part, Nets head coach Steve Nash said that Kevin Durant's request that he be fired, that Steve Nash, the head coach, be fired, was just a misunderstanding and that he and KD are on great terms. Do you expect any of us to believe that? Because I'm no fool. And I'm not falling for it because we we know if a player asks you for you to be fired for him to come back, come on now. I'm not stupid. Of course, there's going to be some animosity and whatnot there, but 
They're all grown adults. They hashed it out, I'm sure. And let's move on. All right. Finally, Aaron Judge did it. He hit home run number 61. He went seven games without a home run, starting to get a little worried there with just seven games left to play now. And here's what that sounded like brought to you by none other than Michael Kay. And the 3-2. Joel deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history. And now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. The most anybody has ever hit in a single season in American League history. So nice little call there from Michael Kay. And yes, he hits number 61 in a 3-3 game in the seventh inning, which gives the Yankees the lead. They would go on to win this game, I think, like 8-3. to And, oh, it was a laser beam. It was 117 miles off the, off the bat. I think it got out in less than three seconds or a little over three seconds, three and a half seconds, whatever. And just a, a a rocket and the worst part about it is that ball was worth a couple million dollars those fans in the front row it didn't get up high enough they missed it they had their gloves they missed it instead it goes into the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen where the Toronto pitching coach the bullpen coach Matt Bushman picks up the ball And interesting story here, Matt Bushman's wife is Sarah Walsh, the Fox reporter, Fox sports reporter, formerly of ESPN with the, um, you know, ESPN countdown and all those football shows. And she's an NFL reporter, college football reporter. She was in Florida at the time tweeting about it, saying, oh, yeah, now we could retire, yada, yada, yada. And then Bushman gives the ball over to the Yankees, Zach Britton and the Yankees to give to Aaron Judge doing the right thing obviously he's not a fan he's not keeping that ball no way and Sarah Walsh funnily you know um sarcastically facetiously tweets back I think we need a divorce so yeah you know having some fun with that whole with that whole thing there but yeah imagine being those fans so close to millions of dollars because I would have I would have been that guy man I don't care I'm requesting at minimum, I want World Series seat uh, tickets for this year's World Series and good seats behind home plate. I want season tickets for life. That's a given um, for the Yankees and probably signed memorabilia from Judge, a uh, picture with Judge. I'd like to meet him. Um, I, I just though I, I could go on and on with the creativity and the imagination, imagination that I would uh, go, the lengths I would go for them to have to take this ball from me. So we'll see when he hits 62, what exactly happens, but he ended up giving the ball to his mom, which was a really cool moment. Um, So yeah, Aaron judge, great guy. And of course it's even better because through the whole thing, you've had Roger Maris jr. Stand up family, by the way, the Maris's has been there every step of the way watching judge. And he was, he was uh, actually with, Judge's mom when Judge hit the home run in Toronto behind home plate and they hugged it out. And Maris has been very open about how he thinks when Judge breaks this record, that should stand as the all-time record. And um, even though it will be the American League record, those other guys uh, doped more than likely McGuire and Bonds and Sosa and all of them. So a lot of people don't really recognize it, but MLB is not going to um, diminish what they've accomplished. They're not going to give you know, just change it now because the Astros blatantly and openly cheated to win a World Series in 2017 and probably 2019. They admitted it. And Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball didn't strip them of their title. So that's that's that. Oh, and by the way, in this game, while Aaron Judge was making history by tying Roger Maris's 61 home runs that he hit, by the way, in 1961, exactly 61 years ago. Garrett Cole was making history by tying the Yankee uh, single-season franchise strikeout record with 248. He tied Ron Guidry, who did that way back when. And this was also a game in which Aaron Boone made Anthony Rizzo honorary manager for a day. 
So pretty cool stuff. And the Yankees look like they're peaking, getting hot right at the you know perfect time here. So we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk a little bit about Brett Favre. It's not often I mention the retired Hall of Fame quarterback on this show. I don't know if I've ever really mentioned him, but Brett Favre has got himself in a steaming pile of, you know what, of dung, we'll just say. It, the story sort of came out last, started to come out trickle in last week, but I didn't really know enough about it and I didn't want to report too early um, because I didn't have any facts. So here's what I've dug up. Brett Favre has a charity, Favre for Hope, and that charity donated more than $130,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi Athletic Department from 2018 to 2020. Okay, no big deal, right? Because Favre, that's the school he went to. He starred there. His foundation, however, is meant to support disadvantaged children and cancer patients. So simultaneously, Favre was working to finance a new volleyball facility at the school. Again, nothing out of the ordinary. His daughter, Braley, played volleyball for them, for USM at the time. So during those three years that she was there, his daughter, the largest grant given by the foundation was to the Athletic Foundation. Where this gets a little sticky is that Favre tried using welfare funds to build that volleyball facility. And I want to say that there's actually like taped recorded like conversations with Favre and like some woman in Congress or a Senate, something to that effect. So Brett Favre is being sued by the state of Mississippi for misusing those welfare funds. He received $1.1 million for speeches he did not make, according to a state auditor report and court documents, and he was instrumental in moving more than $5 million in welfare dollars toward the building of the volleyball facility while his daughter was a player on the Southern Miss volleyball team. Um, Favre has since paid back the $1.1 million, though the state says he still owes $228,000 in interest. He has not been charged with wrongdoing, and he posted on social media that he did not know where the funding for the volleyball facility came from. Now, look, it doesn't sound like he, I don't necessarily know if he purposefully um, did this or, or whatever, but it sounds harmless enough to me. He was trying to do good, build a new volleyball facility. You know, his daughter was playing there at the time and it's not a, a big school and he's probably the most famous player to come out of there. He's got all this money, right? And he's trying to do good for the athletic department. But the misappropriation of funds here is where it gets sticky. And that's why he, and he could face jail time. Um, do I think he will? Not, not in a long shot, but just something to keep an eye on as we go forward. All right, here we go. Live new, live golf back in the news. So remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Patrick Reed, how he sued the Golf Channel um, and more notably, um, Brendel, uh, Brandel Shambly. Well, earlier this week, uh, I think it was Wednesday, he filed paperwork to withdraw that lawsuit. But make no mistake about it, he only withdrew it so he could double down. He simply refiled the suit, but not only did he refile it, he now added Golf Channel employees Damon Hack, Shane Bacon, and Eamon Lynch as defendants. Reed alleges that he lost several seven-figure endorsement deals due to their actions and claims Golf Channel, the PGA Tour, and DP World Tour are co-conspiratorial agents attempting to undermine Liv's legitimacy, which I do believe that last part. Everybody knows that's what's going on. Also on Wednesday, the PGA Tour, they filed a countersuit in response to Liv's lawsuit from a month ago, alleging that if either party is guilty of anti-competitive behavior, it is actually Liv. So, you know, it's just back and forth, back and forth. All right. That's your live news for the week. Okay, got some football news for you. Zach Wilson is 100%. He's full go, full participant in practice, and he will start and make his season debut on Sunday in Pittsburgh at 1 o'clock. 
might want to check on that even if you're not a Jets fan just to see how he does. Um, he's been out since August after suffering that meniscus injury and bone bruise in the season uh, in the preseason opener against the Eagles. Joe Flacco filled in, got that miraculous win in week two against the Browns. But other than that, it hasn't really been much against the Ravens. And then uh, this past weekend against the Bengals, judges up at the plate, swings at a first pitch curveball and misses. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, the Jets will unfortunately be without Noah Fant. They just put him on IR. Dwayne Brown is still on IR. So they've got some fill-in pieces. Um, to work with on that O-line, which does scare me a little bit because the Steelers D-line, even without uh, TJ Watt, is scary. But if he's full go, he should be able to get outside the pocket and, you know, make some things happen. So we'll see. We'll see, you know. I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit apprehensive, but but I'm I'm still excited. Um, and this kid, Max Mich Mitchell, who's been thrown in at right tackle, um, has been a revelation. This kid was supposed to be a project, not even supposed to play. He's been the one guy on the O-line that we've been able to rely on. The left tackle has been a, has been a mess. And uh, so, you know, we'll see what they make of that. Go, you know, going into Sunday, he's going to have to get the ball out quick. They've got some good weapons. I'd like to see Uzama used more, but he's probably going to have to pass protect a little bit. Um, we know the Steelers are going to bring the kitchen sink at Wilson, so this is not by any chance going to be an easy game for him. But the main thing is to just see him, you know, be healthy and and play, you know, okay. Judge just roped a single up the middle on a slider on a two-two count, so he has a base hit there. That's good for the triple crown um, because he does need to keep that average up. He's he's right there, tied or one point or two points up on. Ariza and uh, Bogart, so it's very close there for the Triple Crown race. So yeah, Zach Wilson will make his debut Sunday. Steelers are three and a half point favorites. A lot of people like the Jets. I can't touch the Jets. I can't confidently say that we're winning this game because I don't think we will. Actually, Judge hit that off the end of the bat. It wasn't hit that hard, but a base hit nonetheless. Okay, let's, now that we're talking baseball, we really are down to three. It's a race between three teams. For, for these playoff spots, and I'll break it down. The NL wildcard is coming down to two teams for the final spot. You have the Phillies and the Milwaukee Brewers, and both teams are, are just limping to the finish line. On September 15th, the Phillies were cruising up six and a half games. They had a six and a half game lead on Milwaukee, but they were just swept by the lowly 70 and 86 Cubs in a three-game series and scored a whopping three runs for the series. To make matters worse, well, no, they actually got lucky yesterday. That's right, because Milwaukee dropped their game to a, a pretty bad team as well. And um, so the Phillies' lead on Milwaukee is just half a game. So there's about six, six games left for Milwaukee and seven games left for the Phillies. This thing should get interesting. Not to mention you have a huge series between the Mets and Braves getting underway today a weekend three-game series for the division. The Mets are, what, one game up, half a game up, whatever it is. This is a big series. They can't get swept. Whatever they do, the Mets can't get swept. They have to win at least one and then take care of business against the Nationals in the final three-game series of the season. So that's another interesting one. And then really the only other thing going, the Orioles, they, they're five back. They're not going to make it. It's going to be between Seattle and Tampa Bay. Which one gets the five? Which one gets the six seed? And Seattle, for them, they're pretty much in. They are making the playoffs now for the first time since 2001. Unbelievable when they set all sorts of records with that team. So that's your MLB uh, playoff update. Okay, let's talk about that eight-player trade that took place yesterday in the NBA between two bad teams, Oklahoma City and Houston. And when you're bad, you know, you try to just turn over the roster any way you can. So Oklahoma City will receive David Nwaba, Sterling Brown, Trey Burke and Marquise Chris, while the Rockets acquired Derek Favors, Ty Jerome, Mo Harkless, Theo Maladon, and a 2025 second round pick via Atlanta. So the Rockets are taking on a lot of these veteran type players. I don't know if they'll buy anybody out, but again, these are this is a weird, not a 
I'm not shocked by it, but it's a little weird. It's a lot of players, and it's two bad teams. I don't really know what this does or why they did this, but eight-player trade. You don't hear that often or, or every day for sure. All right. Um, we're at the end of the show here, which is good. So you got a lot going on this weekend. Like I said, the Mets, uh, the Braves are hosting the Mets in that three-game, crucial three-game series starting tonight. That game should be on right now. Um, and I'll get you an updated score. I'm just going to flip over to that channel on the iPad and see what's good with the the Mets on SNY. So let's see what the score is there because you got DeGrom on the mound. I don't know who's pitching for the Braves tonight, actually. And uh, Mets fans are a little scared because DeGrom hasn't been great of late. So your updated score is, ooh, bottom second. DeGrom's already given up two runs. This is not a good sign. He's up to 32 pitches, three strikeouts. Uh, let's see how they scored. Yep, Matt Olson hit a two-run out. Back-to-back, -back, Austin Riley and Matt Matt Olson homered. How'd the Mets score? Uh, the Mets got one in the first on a Luis Guillorme single to left. So a lot of ball, ball game left, but DeGrom, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's getting tired here as he pitches into the season, even though he, you know, he missed most of the year. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the Braves sweep them. Forget it. You do not want that wild card spot. You want to be chilling as that two seed behind the Dodgers for sure. Okay, we've also got the Vikings and Saints. Yes, disclaimer, this is the first week we have a London game, Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern on NFL Network. It's the Vikings and the Saints. Not a great game. The Vikings should win this one. I might actually bet on it. You're going to have Andy Dalton starting for the Saints. No Jameis Winston. No Michael Thomas. Um, I'm not sure about Jarvis Landry, who left last week's game as well. So Vikings coming off that big comeback win. This is Kirk Cousins. Is this a primetime game? Is this considered primetime? I'm going to consider it a primetime game just because it's the only game on and everyone will be watching around the world. Um, so that does scare me a little bit, but uh, I I'm taking the Vikings there. Uh, then you've got the Bills at the Ravens. This is a huge matchup. This game, I will be betting the points. Uh, give me all the points. Give me every point. Give me 100 points. You will see a lot of point scoring. Lamar Jackson is a video game highlight reel. He knows how to put points on the board. And the Bills, yes, they can stifle him. They've done it in the past. But um, this is the regular season, baby. And they need to make a comeback statement after last week's game. And I believe they will. Josh Allen will throw at least four touchdowns in this game. So that should be a fun one. You've got the Chiefs at uh, that, by the way, Bills, Ravens, CBS, 1 p.m. You've got Chiefs at Bucks. That's the Sunday night game on NBC. And that's noteworthy uh, because the tropical storm or Hurricane Ian that made landfall in the Tampa area, Florida area, they had a chance to move this game, but they decided they're not. They are going to play it still in Tampa on Sunday night. And then in the college ranks tomorrow, you've got number seven, Kentucky at number 14, Ole Miss. That will take place on ESPN at 12 p.m. I like Kentucky in this one. I think they're underdogs uh, by like six and a half or so. And, you know, there's other great games. I'm looking forward to maybe finally winning some money. We're into week four here. I need to win some money in the NFL. I will give you my official three picks on tomorrow's um, Through the Ringer podcast episode. So tune into that um, if you want my picks or the guys' picks as well. So that should be fun. And then finally, we get to the end on this date in sports. Let's go. September 30th, 1972, Roberto Clemente records his 3,000th hit, a double off Mets pitcher John Matlack. Take a listen. Let me cue this up. Playing third, playing right field, number 21, Roberto Clemente. So yeah, um, just incredible. 
Uh, obviously, he died. I never got a chance to see him play. That was before my time. Um, he was making, I think, what, like a humanitarian trip to bring supplies and such to his to his home of uh, Puerto Rico. And, um, yeah, just a plane crash in the 70, 19, December 31st, 1972. He never got another hit. He finished his career with 3,000 hits. And he is still, believe it or not, this is so sad. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh Pirate fans, but believe it or not, Clemente is still the only player in Pirates history to record 3,000 hits. Only player to don a Pirates uniform and get 3,000 hits. Absolutely bonkers. Just insane. Um, but what a player he was. I wish I could have seen him play. And, you know, I wish I was alive in that era to, to see him play because hell of a player. Um, that pretty much is going to wrap up the show. Just some other games that are on. Judge has not. They're down one nothing. the Yankees, so waiting on that. Um, what other games you got this week? Let's see, some top 25 vehicles. Oh, yeah, you've got Ohio State hosting my Rutgers squad that I was really loving against Iowa, but turnover heavy, and they, they blew that game. They could have won that. They lost by 15. Um We'll see if we get Noah Vedral back or not, but Ohio State is favored. It was it was at 40 and a half. It's dropped to 39 and a half. It's just a joke. That game's at 3.30 tomorrow. Um, let's see, what else you got? Michigan is uh, on the road against Iowa. That'll be a sloppy game. Iowa's so bad. They have a good defense, but that's about it. Um, you got number 23, Florida State, hosting uh, 22, Wake Forest. Wake Forest, of course, coming off a tough loss in overtime against Clemson. That was an unbelievable game. And then, um, let's see, you've got number 20, Arkansas, hosting Alabama. Bama is 17-point favorites. Ooh, I want to bet Arkansas so badly. I don't think Bama's that good this year. You've got Baylor, number 16, Baylor, hosting uh, undefeated 3-0 Oklahoma State team, ranked ninth in the country right now. You've got Clemson and NC State. That's the game of the night, right? Tomorrow night, 7.30, number five, Clemson against NC State. NC State, obviously, on the road. Clemson's favored by seven. Again, I don't think they're that good. Um, I really, I'm I'm betting the money line on NC State tomorrow night, I believe. I, I think I'm going to do it. Um, and then, all right, that ends it for the uh, ranked matchups. There should be six of them. And then on the NFL side, some games I'm just going to pick out. Obviously, Jets Steelers because of Zach Wilson starting. You've got the you know uh, London game in the morning. You've got um, Cowboys and Commanders. Commanders season could be over if they fall to one and three. Cowboys sitting at two and one. Um, gotta stay, stay in it. Gotta stay with that one loss if you're the Cowboys to try to keep up with the Eagles. Um, let's see. You got Titans Colts. Not not looking forward to that. You've got Giants, Bears. The one I'm looking forward to is the Raiders and the Broncos because the Raiders are now 0-3, and it's shocking. They made the playoffs last year, and they're 0-3, and the Broncos won a game 11-10, to and Jimmy Garoppolo stepped out of the back of the end zone and pulled a Dan Orlovsky on Sunday night football. Just unbelievable. Um, so I, I've got to see. I, I really want to bet the Raiders. This is one of those weird spreads again. Broncos are leading that division at 2-1, and one, and they haven't looked good on offense, yet the Raiders are favored by 2.5. So this is telling me to bet the Raiders. But again, it's one of those weird ones. Um, and then, of course, you've got Buccaneers Chiefs on that Sunday night game I talked about, and you end things off with the 49ers and Rams on Monday night football. That should be a fun one. Um, so, yeah, there you have it. Episode 186, about a minute four in. I think that was pretty good considering I had a lot to talk about. Yankees just went, I think, down in order. Um, so Jordan Lyles is is stifling them early on. Still waiting on Judge to hit 62. I was hoping what happened on the air, but that's good because I could finish up the podcast post-editing and watch it live and not have to worry about too many things at once. So hope you guys enjoyed. Again, disclaimer, go listen to Through the Ringer if you haven't started listening or subscribed, go do that. We're trying to release episodes twice a week. We only got, uh, we're only going to be able to get one in. That'll be tomorrow though, but that's the main vehicle um, where we'll give all our picks and we'll have some fun with that. So if you if you if you want to listen to a podcast strictly on football, check that out tomorrow. Um, 
we'll probably do that mid afternoon. It'll probably get released later in the evening or, you know, whenever we can, we can, uh, agree to a time to jump on and do that. And then, um, probably not tonight, but definitely tomorrow at some point I want to watch. I've been anticipating this new movie, um, with Zac Efron that just came out today on Apple TV plus called the greatest beer run ever. It is based on a true stories from what I'm told. There's also on Netflix, the Dahmer uh, series, which is just freaky. Um, I'm two episodes into that. And then sports related, uh, they released a documentary about Nolan Ryan and um, you know how his career started with the Mets and they didn't believe he was really any good and he started out as a reliever all that good stuff looks really good a sport any sport junkie like myself or my dad um should watch that one so uh yeah those are some things to check out it's going to be a wet rainy weekend of course with the hurricane i hope everybody that's out there listening is staying safe florida especially if you're in florida you know stay safe um stay in high ground and don't do anything too stupid to get, get yourself killed because there's been people that have died already. This is a serious, I mean, you see some of the videos and the footage of what, what's going on. It, it's, it's no joke. So, uh, you know, stay safe out there, everybody. Um, you've been listening to episode 186 of This Week in Sports. This is the Pody signing off. Until next week. Peace.